Welcome to episode 59. Today, Dr. Jeff Zeers will talk about creating authentic opportunities for student-to-student -student discussions. Welcome to the Empowering Elves podcast. I'm Tan Nguyen, and the goal of this podcast is to serve language learners just like me and to empower passionate teachers just like you. As language specialists, we know the need to develop students' speaking skills. It's just as important as students' reading, writing, and thinking skills. Dr. Jeff Spears will share with us ways to move from pseudo to authentic conversations and the three features of academic language. He even helped me with a future lesson plan and talked about decolonizing learning in the end. This would be a transformative conversation. It was for me. If you're interested in learning more strategies to support language learners, I have several highly interactive courses. You can find more information by going to my website. I hope you consider joining. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Jeff Spears. I have slightly, you know, stalked Dr. Uh, Dr. Spears for many years now, ever since I learned about his Academic Conversations book with ELL Chat Book Club. And I've been a fan since. And I'm so excited to welcome you all the way from your mountain home in California uh, to, the, to the earbuds of teachers around the world. We have a debt of gratitude for you, uh, Dr. Spears, for your help in helping us understand how to make uh, conversations academic conversations, part of our student experience. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here too. <laughs> it's been uh, six months in the making. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you start us off with talking, giving us a story of when you were working with teachers or an example of a teacher telling you a story to exemplify the, the magic of having students have conversations with each other? Yeah, I, I've worked um, in various grade levels. Um, I've got probably focused a little more on grades three through eight. And so um, when, when a teacher, even just uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I had a teacher just get really excited about um, not just <clears throat> conversations, but about um, the kind of language and focus that she had started to use with her students. It was a fifth grade classroom. And this is, this is um, remote instruction, uh, but she said she's excited to kind of carry it into uh, classroom instruction as well. And that's, that's just the focus on uh, building up ideas, which uh, before there's, you know, it's, it's kind of on the side or not really given an explicit or intentional focus. Right. And she uh, just told kids, this is how we're going to learn this year is we're going to build up ideas. You guys, we're going to use some of the building blocks from uh, the instructional materials, but we're also going to use um, some of the things from your own life and your own ideas uh, that, that help to, to build up, um, you know, the, these I lasting ideas in their heads. And so she was real excited to uh, just kind of use that and have kids uh, feel valued, right, rather than just being memorizers and point getters mm -hmm. um so that, that that was you know just hearing that kind of made me happy that 
that even in remote instruction, which can, uh, I've seen and heard, tend toward uh, going back to the old, you know, lecture and answer the questions type of model, that she's sort of bucking that and really um, pushing for idea building. Yeah. Can you tell us more about what does the research say about why we should have academic conversations? Well, you know, most of the research is, um, I mean, the, I can't even say the research. There are, um, you know, various studies that show the power of just collaboration and, and social learning. Um, it, it tends to last more uh, beyond the Friday quiz or, or Friday test. And so that's one, you know, one finding that when kids are allowed to process it, um, to put their ideas into words for others, and then also to get some of the material, those like, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the building metaphor, the building blocks from direct partners face-to-face, -face, <clears throat> eye to eye, that's, a, that's a, a little different than just reading it or just watching it or just listening to the teacher. So yes, it, it is in combination with reading and listening, but the actual back and forth negotiating ideas and co-building um, helps, helps things last a bit longer. And it also, also supports the engagement in the topic. It's a little bit circular, but as kids get more into talking about it with others, um, things, you know, they, they get a little more interested in, in studying it and also talking about it with others. <laughs> um, and so that, that, that's kind of, and, and, but there's no real, um, I mean, I, I've seen a few studies here and there that connect it to test scores, um, but uh, and so and that's what some people are sometimes asking for. But for the most part, uh, I it's rare to find people who say, "Oh no, we shouldn't do conversations because uh, it's not going to help their test scores." You don't hear that very often, right? And you don't it won't you won't show it in the research either. Um, it's more that you know it's more the question of well how how do we get that going? Or how do I fit it in to the, the time I'm you know, given? That's, that's such a valid point because I used to work at uh, Philip Exeter and, and uh, Andover. Mm -hmm. So there are these prestigious private schools in Northeast, right? And they feed mm -hmm. directly to the Ivy League schools. And the way they teach is through something called the Harkness discussion. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. it's coming together and talking the entire period, asking each other's questions and answering each other's questions. So it's very different than the Socratic method. Mm -hmm. And I tried to bring that into my context as much as possible. And I was like, oh my goodness, we, it, the, the, because now that I'm a social studies teacher, the need to feel like you have to cover content is so overwhelming that I am making less time for conversations besides like the turn and talk, right? But there's like the lengthy college level discussions where students going back and negotiating ideas is, uh, is not as, it doesn't happen frequently as much as I like. Yeah, and that's, that, I mean, that comes up a lot, right? Um, it's, it also depends on what your definition of cover is, right? And that's what I think people need to, um, kind of redefine what it means to quote, cover something. Because if, if you are just covering it and it disappears, have you really covered it? Exactly. Um, and then, but, but one thing that conversation tends to do, 
I'm not saying it's a, it's a sure thing every time, but it tends to um, really get those um, thought muscles going in the brain and, um, you know, kind of working, gives the brain a workout, both on the receptive and the productive side, right? And so as I am trying to understand, definitely trying to understand someone who's right across from me, um, my brain's working harder than, you know, just listening to the teacher. Uh, if, if, if I don't have to then respond, in some way, <laughs> um, you know, to that. So, so there's a little, there's just a, a lot more kind of thinking on your feet and actually thinking in general um, when you have this other person or other people, let's say, um, kind of pushing you for that. I think that's why Dr. John Hattie, in his work, he said that uh, student discussion has a, an, a, like a double the effect size. Uh, for student learning, and, and that's fine because they're accountable for someone in front of them or a group of people in front of them to respond. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and if you measure whatever that measurement is of effect size, if you actually connect it to some other, um, I would call it harder to test things, yeah. uh, for example, conversation skills, social skills, social emotional um, skills, agency identity, uh, which those typically don't come up in, uh, in the talk of effect size. If you were to measure those, imagine what the effect size would be, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you're actually, and so if we value those skills and those, um, I, I'd say those traits of, you know, ha be having a positive academic identity and feeling like, hey, I'm, I'm a part of this and I have agency um, or just social skills, right? Which are pretty much in, in, in a testing type situation, or at least our yearly tests, you know, that's not tested. And so um, then you got even more, right? So, so it's kind of like a, you know, double quadruple there. I, I remember, I, I don't know who said the quote, but I remember it is, it goes like this, this um, things that can be measured sometimes don't count and things that can be counted sometimes can't be measured. Yeah, I forgot who I, I didn't know if that came from Einstein or not, but um, yeah, as well. <laughs> and um, and so and that's that's why I think it's um, it's important to also think about some of the less visible things, like I just mentioned, right? Some of those um, feeling confident, you know, social skills, being able to uh, build up a relationship with someone, and knowing what that means. Right and knowing, uh, feeling empathy for a wide range of people, those are sometimes a little less visible than the you know countable, whatever fill in the fill in the blank or or, or multiple choice tests, but they are uh, highly important. And we've seen a lot of people. I don't know if you have, but seen a lot of people that, you know, if they miss out or, or they have missed out on twelve years of really good practice of that, it makes a difference. And so one of the, one of my passions is to um, you know, facilitate and work with schools to, to make that happen. So we have these, you know, it's kind of a cliche term, but a well-rounded, um, you know, a well-rounded well students who, who at the end of 12 years, they have talked with a lot of people about a lot of, you know, challenging academic and social things, right? Uh, but they haven't just been you know, told to be quiet and study for the test the whole time, or just here, write this essay, um, which kind of feeds into a little bit of the, you know, the, the topic of, of authentic communication. Right. 
um, I think. I think it's so important to teach this because I'm, I listen to a podcast named Seth Godin and, and he thinks about mm-hmm. education as uh, the two goals of education. He said is that uh, students solving real problems and working together with others to solve those real problems. And I think student conversation is central in that role. And like our job is to, to make sure kids are able to listen, respond to others, ask questions and use evidence as they, as they respond. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I, just, I just was listening to him uh, maybe a week ago. Um, and he was, I liked his, let's, let's put it this way. I liked his criticism of, of the somewhat pay, you know, paying for points model um, of, of education. So he was, and his, what you just said was kind of his, his answer to that. Um, but I would even expand it a little bit uh, beyond just solving problems, um, unless you also include in the problem solving um, something about creative expression and, um, and, and, and building up of ideas, right? In some cases, ki- you know, kids just do want to learn um, something about something, right? And learn about the world or learn about people or learn about history. And so um, allowing them, you know, some choice in how to build up those ideas, I think is also important. Um, you know, a little bit of expansion there uh, of that. Well, that's, that's really important to have that creative piece of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you talk to us about your concept of pseudo versus authentic communication styles? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're very rough, rough definitions and there's some overlap here and there, but for the most part, um, like I was just mentioning, pseudo communication tends to be using language um, in more or less non-meaningful ways. It's usually using language for some external reward in some way or to make the teacher happy or just to get by or to not make the teacher mad um, or, or just for show or just for winning or, you know, whereas the authentic communication is, is actually using language for what it was intended. So, um, so using it in meaningful ways and the, the three features I, I tend to focus on are, like I've said before, building up an idea. So, and this could include, um, you know, clarifying an idea, making it a stronger idea. It doesn't have to be from scratch, but somehow there's a change in the brain in one or more of the participants in the communication after, um, after it happens. So for example, if you and I are in a pair share and we just read a story, the same story, and the teacher says, okay, turn to each other and share a summary of the story. Right. Well, we're not really building up much of an idea. You might remember a few different things, but I, I'll remember a, a few, but for the most part, we're just gonna kind of share the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we're not really building up much there. But if, um, if you read a different story and there was a purpose, and this is where I'm getting to the idea building, like I really need to know what you read so I can build up something about how stories are written or about whatever the topic is. Maybe you read a story that's you know on a related topic, but not the same. And so then I do want to know, right? So so it has that you know the idea of of, of building up toward something. Um, and then if you add argumentation to that, you're still building, but you build up two opposing sides of an argument. Uh, objectively as, as possible, and then you decide, right? So that's, 
that's sort of still included, you know, argumentation is building up two opposing sides, two or more, and then building up just a single idea would be, um, you know, building up an idea of, you know, why, why do authors include figurative language in a text, right? Or um, what, you know, how can I become a great author of children's stories? I mean, th those kinds of larger ideas, right? Or if it's science, you know, the sun, if I, and I usually actually tell people, I'd like the idea in a one sentence form, right? Rather than a topic or a question. The second feature is, um, and this is, people say, well, how do you build up ideas? And the second feature is there's actually clarification and support in there. Mm -hmm. So somehow in the activity, and this, I'm usually thinking about teaching activities, but this could go beyond that. Um, is there, uh, is, you know, it, did I, as a teacher, did I actually either, either encourage and or help kids work on their clarifying support skills? Because those are the two biggies for building up an idea in general. Um, and then, so in the pair share, for example, I would want the teacher to tell me and you that, um, well, I want to hear at least one clarifier support question in your pair share, which is very rare, as you probably know, right? Like if you were to if you were to watch kids do a pair share, often it's who's my idea in one or two sentences. The other person says okay, and then maybe says ditto or maybe says <laughs> you're right. But there usually isn't. Uh, oh, can, wait, can you clarify what you mean by freedom, right. or can you give an example from the text of that? Right, you usually don't get that, and so we're really trying to push kids to to have. It's more of a mindset, um, with you know that that involves these two skills. And that mindset is, am I building up an idea as strongly and clearly as possible, yes. right? Is it built up as much as possible? I mean, imagine, I, I know in this, you know, in, in, in the States at least, um, you don't usually get that in, in, inside of kids. That when they write something, they're like, uh, what's the bare minimum that I can write to get an A, B, C, or D, right. usually, right? They're usually saying, uh, how many pieces of evidence do I need? And if you were to say, well, how, how many pieces do you think you need to make it as strong, as clear as possible, exactly. right? Um, and that, that just that, so as much as possible, I'm hoping that we can build up that mentality or that mindset starting in, in you know, primary grades all the way up uh, to, to actually, you know, and, and at all levels of instruction all the way up. So, so that by the time they're, you know, seniors in high school, they're, that's what they do. This is how we think, this is how we learn, this is how we push each other, this is how I write, this is how I read, this is how I speak, listen, and converse. This is how I look at, um, you know, paintings, Th that kind of stuff. So, so, so that's, and then the third, the third feature, I think I already kind of alluded to, but it's, it's is there an information gap? Is there a need to actually share information uh, that you have that I don't, or vice versa? So when we read the same story, there isn't much of an information gap. But when we read different stories, and there's a number one, there's a there's a purpose of building, right? Um, if there's just an information gap and it's just to fill in these boxes, like I've seen in a lot of jigsaws, jigsaws are, are good examples of information gap activities. But a lot of times, you know, if you ask the kid, well, what's the purpose? Oh, it's to fill in my row. No, no, you, it should be a purpose that goes beyond just right now, you know, and, and filling in your row. So. You know, that, that, that's, those are the three features that, you know, usually when combined, you, you get a lot more language produced. Right. 
it's that authentic conversations where students are listening to each other and then they're 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 moving from pseudo communication where it's just one idea and then getting points and right to right. authentic com- communication where they're little, they're just building ideas and honing in and clarifying each other's ideas like what do you mean by this like mm-hmm. what do you mean mm-hmm. that let me add to it and I remember so we're on Christmas break right now or winter break right now in my mm-hmm. and the last day of, of my eighth grade the last day I saw my eighth graders before the break mm-hmm. um, we just closed the Renaissance unit and I had kids talk to each other about the Renaissance like they're they're, they're the biggest uh, enduring understanding from the Renaissance. And after about 15 minutes of conversations, they came up with the idea that you don't have to have a lot of money. It's not how much money you make, it's what you do with that money. And huh. they got that from talking about, talking to each other and saying, oh, the people during the Renaissance uh, spent a lot of money, but relatively, they, it didn't matter how much money they made, it's, it's how they use that money. And we're still now impacted because the, the, the way they use their money. And that was the conversation they got as eighth graders. And I was so impressed that they yeah. listened to each other, clarified, and they added to each other's ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, especially especially when they can, you know, work with what they, you know, the text to whatever, all those connections, text to self, text to world, and then um, text to text, right? So the text to text would be what kind of came from the Renaissance. And then if they started building from their own life experiences, great. Yeah, that's what we want. Thank you. I also love that um, I, so when I say I, I pseudo stalked you, I watch your videos, several videos, and you talked about like how pseudo conversations kind of like bug you and you have a slide <laughs> with a little bug. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not much to talk about. It's, I just put a, a big fly up on the slide and I ask, you know, I ask, so, so how did you feel when you first saw this? And, um, you know, I usually am going for the ew or gross. And, and, say, and then I say, well, if pseudo communication does not bug you, then um, it's just going to continue. And so one of the things that is a big challenge with this area, this is, this is probably a focus I'm going to have until I retire, right? Wow. It's, um, it's that major overhaul or transformation of what we've been doing in education for 100 years, mm-hmm. right? We've been telling kids, um, in, a, in a sense, you know, you, you, you need to pay for points with, right. you know, your knowledge and your learning. <clears throat> and so how do we change that? It's a, it's a major change. So I, I just, you know, you just, I just say, we you try to start small and try to start slowly. <clears throat> don't just, don't think you're going to overhaul everything you do this year. Um, start with a unit, take a break, you know, do a few pieces from a unit, start at the activity level. In yeah. fact, <clears throat> that book, the communication effect mostly starts at the activity level, right? I try to get a little beyond that, but um, it's, I think it helps to zoom in on, okay, you know, you're, you're going to be a, a critiquer slash connoisseur of an activity, the, you know, language, <clears throat> excuse me, a language-based activity. So look at it, look at a jigsaw. What are the kids doing? Are they, you know, and, and you can't get inside the brain, not that you would want to, but, you know, to know if it's really truly authentic or pseudo, but often if they're doing the bare minimum and you, and you can kind of tell if they are actually getting into it and saying more than you'd expect, then that tends to be more on the authentic side, right? So if they, 
if they you know tend to say a second or third or fourth sentence, which is often what I'm going for um, about a topic that helps build up an idea, then it's more authentic. Um, but if if we continue to do all the pseudo things that we've been doing for years, which is you know the basic pair share, yes. or or, um, or well whatever, read read the text and answer questions. Now I'm not saying you can't do that. <clears throat> but if you apply these features of authentic communication yes. um, to that, you might have to tweak it a little bit, but it's like, it's sort of like, okay, you're going to read this text and there are a few questions that are going to help you build up the idea that you are building up for the final performance or product that you're, you know, the, the assessment type thing. Um, sure. and, but it's going to help you. And so instead of just saying, I'm going to take away points if you don't or hear, you know, like a kid's like i'm just doing the bear i'm not even going to read it right how many how many kids on a test for example that's the worst case scenario but actually read the text when they can actually just look and hunt and peck for answers to the five questions or whatever it is right that is you know that's completely not what we want <laughs> right <laughs> so anyway um but I, you know, that was probably longer than, than you expected for that particular. But I think moving from pseudo to authentic and not that every kid every time is going to, you know, it's not like it's going to be a perfect 100% by any means. But if we can get more kids authentically communicating more of the time, especially the kids we're most concerned about, then we've got something, right? Then, then um, whether or not the test scores go up, which they tend, you know, they usually would. In fact, I've seen, you know, I've seen classrooms where um, teachers have focused less on the tests and more on communication. And they were like, oh, oh, wait, the test scores, because kids are more engaged in learning uh, and using language, it, it tends to have a, I call it a positive messy effect or, a, you know, it's a messy process, but you still end up with, um, you know, positive results. I, when I, so when I, so when I first learned about your concept of pseudo uh, communication versus authentic communication, I had a light bulb moment because as a literacy specialist, we, we understand like authentic reading experiences is not mm -hmm. from baseball readers. It's from something that it's, it's the kids want to read. Right? And we know that authentic writing experience is not filling in the blanks. Right? It's students crafting right. ideas, extended ideas to communicate with each other or to communicate with others or to process ideas. And I was like, oh yeah, when, when, you, showed, when you shared the slide of like pseudo versus authentic communication, I said, oh, that's right. We also have authentic communications um, styles of communication. We also have examples of when, ooh, you're, you're just communicating, but that doesn't mean it's adding on each other ideas, it's clarifying, it's not supporting it. There's no, there's no uh, like collaboration really. It's just you talking at a person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that really clarified it. Yeah, and, and the, the thing that, I mean, cause I've done a lot of work in conversation but all, conversation is just one piece of the authentic communication kind of umbrella. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we need to remember that too. In fact, some, in some ways conversations can tend toward being more authentic than other things like listening, speaking, reading, writing, yes. um, right? And so, so I, I sometimes will even spend an extra amount of time on, let's look at your, like you just mentioned writing. How often are kids writing 
to the teacher thinking the teacher already knows this and just I'm just doing this for points so, the so I can show the teacher that I can use whatever things are on the rubric or checklist, right? So it's not really authentic communication at all. It's just a, you know, just to show something or to get points. Um, and so one of the things I think, you know, we need to, we, can, we don't have to take away the grading, that's fine. But if we emphasize that this rubric or this checklist is gonna help you clarify and support and build up an idea in someone else's mind, not necessarily the teacher, because if we can write to more authentic audiences and, and which, you know, which that's, that focus has been around for quite a while, fortunately. But, you know, the more we can help kids authentically communicate, right, the better. So, you know, these checklists, these rubrics, we can still grade it, it's not, but that's secondary. And so that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at is how do we make communication primary and make the grading secondary? Not that that's always going to be the case. I'm not, I don't have, you know, let's say I don't have a classroom full of kids who are like, oh, I am excited to write to the governor or whatever. Um, but, but at the same time, it's still, you know, overall our school and overall the whole year and maybe the whole district, we focus on communication first and then the grading is secondary and the grading you know to be honest is somewhat of a backup right because if you take away the grading and the kid says oh well okay if there's no grades I'm just not going to do it I don't care there's still you know some of that unfortunately extrinsic motivation in some cases and I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna just hide but ideally we you know if we focus if we if we put these features into whatever activity there is like, like writing we put those features in, um, it's more likely that more often more kids will actually, you know, um, do a little more of the authentic communication um, than if not. And you're really the, like, I guess to summarize the point that we we're just talking about is that when we transition from pseudo communication to authentic communication, we have more engagement. And when we have more engagement, we have more critical thinking. When we, when we have more critical thinking, students are able to process the content, the concepts better. In language development. Yes. Right, right. Because um, I have one um, activity that I often use where it's, it's essentially three, three pair shares in a row. Yeah. It's called stronger and clearer each time. And what you do is um, you, you kind of have an oral rough draft. It's not a conversation. It's just you sharing your, you know, orally with uh, your first partner. Right. And then they share with you. And then the second, you go to your second partner and what you said in your, 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 with your first partner, maybe you and I are, are, are first partners and you said, well, what do you mean by that? And I, then I explain it, right? A second time, something that was confusing. Yeah. With my second partner, I don't start off with the confusing way. I start off with the second way that you kind of encourage me to say, right? And I might even add gestures or something or, you know, I might emphasize, I might use a new word or vocabulary because I've already tried stuff out um, that worked and didn't work with my first partner. So that by the time you get to your third partner, you've, you've also added content and language from your previous two partners, but you've also practiced your own message twice. And so it's a nice, it's a nice like concise way to show the actual idea building from speaking and listening. Right, that, that happens. 
that is something new I haven't heard about uh, from the videos that I've watched from you, Jeff. So that's really great. Okay. Would you move towards the conversation where we talk about the how? How do we make, um, how do we embed experiences for authentic communication? Well, I think, I mean, one of the, uh, one of the biggest ways is, um, at least in the in the unit design, and in some cases, curriculums already have have a, um, a a somewhat more than somewhat ideally, but a at least a somewhat engaging product or performance to work toward. Yes. Uh, because because instead of just saying oh, I want you to build up this idea, um, that the idea building happens when you when you do things toward this final product or performance. So have a you know, some kind, and you don't even have to call it an assessment, even though it usually becomes an assessment. Um, in some cases, you don't even have to assess it necessarily, but, um, but you know, most teachers will. So, so that gives a little more motivation. And then if, if I know that my classmates are also building toward this, then in the interactions that we have, especially if we've done slightly different things, you know, or we have different opinions, opinions, which we often do, um, there's, there's stuff to share in conversations. So I want to make sure it's not just, you know, that everyone's just not sharing the same thing and it's a pair share. Conversation usually has two, two people with somewhat different either opinions or backgrounds or content that they can share to contribute to the building towards some idea, right? Now, this happens even, even more often, even though it's not always possible when there's kind of an argument um, it, you know, argumentation issue going on where um, you, you tell kids, okay, we're going to build up, you know, more, one or more sides, um, not one or more, but two or more sides to an issue and then decide which one's strongest mm. based on the evidence. Right. And, and that's where, you know, what's nice about that is kids kind of know what an argument is and you're actually valuing their decision-making or their evaluation of the weight of the uh, evidence. And so you're kind of saying, I don't know what the answer is, right? I want you guys to decide. So instead of them saying, you know, thinking to themselves, I'm gonna walk into this class and I have to prove that I've learned stuff to the teacher, right? <laughs> through a test or through an essay. It's a little different when saying, you know what? I don't really, I don't, I don't have a right answer on this particular question. So let's, let's figure out, this is what we do in the real world. We build up both sides as much as possible. Well, in the, in the ideal real world, we don't always do it enough in, the, in a, that, I would say that objectively or that collaboratively, um, at least in the news media. But, um, yes. and so having that purpose, you know, that purposeful idea building, whether it's toward a product or performance or a decision can really help. Now to get there, there's also the, in fact, a lot of that um, communication effect book is just zooming in on um, the activity level, right? So here's how you can uh, basically enhance any activity with these features of authentic communication. Right. And so, um, and, and those actually, in fact, most of the activities uh, will, be, will be supportive. If you, for example, if you introduce into a pair share or into a piece of writing or into reading any of that, the, the skills of clarifying and supporting, those are the two big skills in a conversation too. Yeah. So 
I often, I often um, start off a lot of my trainings, probably two thirds of them are what I call conversation preparation activities. Usually they're oral. They don't have to be. If I had more time, I would, you know, delve into the reading and writing. But um, the more we get kids really, really, you know, doing that at every moment, clarifying and supporting, um, the more they're prepared for a conversation because conversations are pretty intense. It's a little bit like a, a live sporting event, right? You don't know what the, the next, you don't know what the person's going to say, right? Um, you don't, just like in, you know, let's say a basketball game, you don't know what they're going to do next. You don't know what their offense is. You don't, so it's really kind of um, being ready and those skills uh, if they, you know, if they kick in automatically, um, make them ready. Now, I would also add skills of valuing another's ideas, mm-hmm. respectfully and effectively listening, right? Those are, those are really important as well. And some kids, um, you know, are missing, some adults are missing those as well. Uh, so in terms of setting that all up, you know, you're setting up, you're, you're working toward this final product or performance or decision, and then along the way, you're looking at, you know, let's say tomorrow I've got a lesson and there's, they're reading a text and then I want them to, you know, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, during the reading, I, I might have kids um, put down two or three clarify post-it notes and two or three um, uh, support, like questioning uh, or, or, or at least marking, this is where the author's supporting their idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or if it's a, social studies textbook, I might have to ask questions. Where did they get this? Where did this, um, you know, where did this information come from? So that would all count, right? Because it would be active reading, clarifying and supporting. And then in their conversations, they might be able to bring those up as well, you know, use those post-its in their conversations. Yeah, that's really, I was thinking about like, how do you make that happen for kids and that, that you talked about the sticky notes, that's a really helpful way to get them to think about, okay, um, clarifying support so they can do that in conversation. So you're really priming them to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then in conversation, you can use the same colors and just either they write on or they can just use blank ones and they can, you know, you could say, okay, you guys, I want you to have a conversation, but I want you each, each to ask um, two, let's say, or two or three clarify and two or three support questions. And then put those post-its or little cards or chips or whatever in the middle. So I'm, I'm going to go around. I'm going to look at you. You know, if it's, if it's remote, you know, I would have them kind of show it up to the screen um, and just show that they're kind of, in a sense, playing those cards. Uh, but they're really just using those skills. And that's not, you know, I want to make sure it's not entirely authentic. Because maybe the kid is looking at a card and says, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I thought it was pretty clear, but I'm going to ask a clarify question anyway, right? And what, what that does is usually the result of that, they actually get more clarification than they expected, um, which is a good thing. Because what they, what they, 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 they tend not to think that, they tend to think that um, words and even evidence are kind of the same across people and they really aren't. And so the more, you know, the more they realize that, gosh, this is a valuable experience just to, um, like even our conversation here, which is a little more like an interview, but you know, we're, we're, we're getting things from it, especially if we're negotiating what things mean, right? I so appreciated how you talked about um, 
authentic communicate. We, we can get authentic communication really when we create the, the, uh, an activity that requires kids to communicate authentically, to listen to each other authentically. So you said that um, when you have kids work together to come up with a decision, that's an example of an authentic experience that would require them to communicate collaboratively and authentically with kids, with each other. Yeah, so that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I have a little um, graphic organizer for that that um, is downloadable you know, from my website where it's a little balance scale and you just put the evidence, you brainstorm first each side and then you put the evidence you want to use on each side of the scale and then you decide which side weighs more. Um, and as kids get older, they can use you know, criteria for that. Initially, it might just be, well, this has more pieces of evidence than the other, right, in early grades. But um, it's a nice way to show that. And it's also becomes a writing, you know, a writing graphic organizer, if you want to write a um, argumentative piece, you know. You said in your workshop that you often have uh, activities where teachers are preparing to have conversations, preparing students to have conversations. Can you tell about one or two more activities? Or like the reading activity? That well, they're mostly... Or, or a reading activity. Um, well, I, I mostly spend time on um, speaking and listening activities that I just call conversation preparation activities. They're also often called structured interactions. Uh, I already mentioned one, the stronger and clearer, which is kind of the, you know, the success of pair shares. I also have a popular one that's called um, uh, pro-con or uh, transition improv is kind of the umbrella term, but it, basically kids um, will put each other to say the pros of a some you know usually it's a, some issue with two sides and then the cons so um, they go back and forth several times and in between they use a, an academic transition however on the other hand then mm -hmm. again yes. um, and so it's a nice structured activity where the kids it's, it's in pairs and it just allows kids to practice uh, talking about the pros and cons of an issue um, I'm trying to give another one Another one is the information gap cards, which is a little a little jigsaw-esque, but it's um, more each kid gets a different card with different information that they have to share with another kid, right? Um, sometimes it's an interview protocol. Sometimes it's a math problem where some of the um, information is missing. And so it's just, it's just a way to get kids to kind of have to talk. It's, you know, it's kind of an engineered information gap. I'm thinking about my next unit and it's about world religions in grade eight. And I'm looking at multiple resources for kids. Like, for example, like there's two uh -huh. different articles for each of the main religions. And I'm thinking, hmm, why don't I have kids read different ones and come together to talk about uh, what's the commonality between and then what, what's different. Yeah, but then I would also, I would also try to create some kind of more authentic um, product or purpose for that because, um, you know, interest go, only goes so far with certain kids and even the skill of comparing. Um, if I'm a kid, I'm going to say, okay, I can do it, but why? Right. So I, I would just, I would just, you know, and you probably already have this set, but um, you didn't, you know, you didn't get a chance to mention it all, but I would even say, you know, if, if they're going to do that, I, I definitely, it lends itself well to some kind of info gap jigsaw like stuff. But then if I'm going to listen to you after you talked, you know, you had your whatever religion it was and I had mine, but I'm, if I'm going to listen to you, I need it to be worth the effort, 
to listen. So if it's, I'm not that interested in, um, let's say as a kid, I'm not that interested in different religions. But if you give me kind of a purpose, like, um, and I don't know what it would be off the time. This is just off the top of my head, but you know, something um, that, I don't know, some, you know, experts in religion or there's some kind of policies going on in certain countries right. uh, r- related to, you know, making a decision about different religions um, or even, you know, even deciding, okay, well, which, which religion, I, I don't know, you know, something and you can make it up too. It's right. not like it has to be totally real, but just something that kind of gets their right. um, energy going a little bit, you know what I mean? Nice. Um, Thank you for that. And you just, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, just off the top of my head. Yeah. No, you just definitely elevated my uh, lesson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Could we talk about, um, so in the field of language acquisition, we are now uh, working on decolonizing language. And now there's a current tension in our field about academic conversation and uh, the standard English. So what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, and I've, I've probably, you know, I, I wrote a book a while back called uh, Building Academic Language, and I, I've probably backtracked a little bit um, on just forcing academic language down kids' throats. Um, I, I still, I, I think what, what fits nicely into this authentic communication is, um, I, you know, I want kids to use language to accomplish whatever purpose. And so let's say it's an academic purpose, right? A lot, most of the time in school, they're asked to, but we have to make the purpose actually purposeful uh, and and not just so we can hear academic language. And then, but if if there's another way that doesn't sound academic per se, but it's clearer and stronger for whatever audience, then I go with that, right? And I know that, you know, that's a little bit controversial, but it's also, you know, I, you, you think about the purpose of communication, the purpose of language is to communicate. And so if I have a kid who is communicating to someone else and it's not very, um, it, it, it's not very clear or strong, or, or maybe it's overly academic, just full, full of geeky words, then that's not very communicative. So you got to tone it down and make it clear and strong using whatever language. And it could even be, you know, primary language. It could be slang. It could be um, using a visual, using gestures, all that kind of stuff. And so um, I've kind of gone into that camp more so than just, okay, well, you know, you have to use these, this academic grammar and these academic vocabulary and um, you know, it, if that makes it clear and strong, then yes. But if not, and you know, we all know we've probably read overly academic stuff that's like, ah, oh, I give up. This is not clear. This is a sentence with yeah. 45 words in it, you know. Um, and so, and that doesn't help anybody either, right? Even though, even though it sounds super academic. So I, I think I've backtracked quite a bit, especially with this, this recent focus, you know, or last five years or so on uh, authentic communication. To summarize what you're saying, you're saying the context determines the communication style that we want kids to have, Mm -hmm. and we want to provide them with multiple uh, ways of communicating. Sometimes a context will require them to have very formulaic, very academic conversations, and we want to give them that experience. 
yeah, we also want to say yeah. and open the door wider and say, however, if sometimes the, the context doesn't require academic language, we use something else as long as the communication is clear. And that's what you're saying. Like the focus is to make communication yeah. clear. Yeah, and, and ideally we are setting up situations where uh, academic language is the easiest to use, yes. right? For example, um, instead of saying, um, you know, so, so a kid learns that evaporation, you know, means when water heats up and turns into steam or water vapor. Well, mm-hmm. instead of using that, it's a lot easier just to say evaporation. <laughs> and right. that's kind of what we want. We want, the, we want the situation and those words to be available, right? Mm-hmm. So we will have read them, we will have probably heard them in some way, and then eventually we will encourage that use, even though I won't, it's, it's more of a, a carrot than a stick, right, mm-hmm. in that sense. Well, Jeff, I am, how did, how did an hour go by so fast? I know, it was really quick, but it was fun. <laughs> Hope I didn't was, talk too much. No, you're, you're the guest. I want you to talk a lot because we, we can learn so much from you. You're the expert here. Let's end with uh, uh, traffic light teaching. It's a metaphor. It's like an exit ticket activity. Okay. So I'm going to give you three lights. Uh, one light is, the first light is the is red light. And it's something that you ask teachers to stop doing in, in regards to conversations. And two, the second one is yellow, which is how can we slow down our teaching related to conversations? And then the last one, yellow green is, what can we do as much as possible? And you can go, you can go in any order you want. Um, I think the, the red would be, the red light would be, um, stop being afraid of letting kids talk, right? Yeah. Stop, stop, and stop being afraid that talk is a waste of time. Um, yes. And then particularly, particularly in remote settings, I, you know, there's a lot of like teachers say, I don't know what they're going to be doing, you know, in their breakout groups or whatever, because I can't go to every one. And I, you know, I say, no, you don't. But it is a, I've, I've heard some teachers say, you know, trust, I, I trust you guys to be talking most of the time. They don't even have to say all the time. Um, and so I would say, stop doing that. I would say um, slowing down would be slowing down and, um, and thinking about and observing conversations that do happen. So let's say we do just, you know, encourage that, but um, looking at and seeing what are they doing, you know, right, what are they doing that could be improved in terms of building up ideas. And then the green light would be, um, would be, you know, keep on thinking about what are engaging things that kids want to talk about and read about. And because to tell you the truth, a lot of, you know, we're, at least in this country, we are very guided by what the assessments have and the, the curriculums that are often passed down and bought are very guided by those assessments mm-hmm. too. So, um, so a lot of times the, the curriculums do not care about the backgrounds or interests. I mean, even, you know, they're trying to engage the students, but I think they, I feel they're more hamstringed by um, just preparing for all the minutia mm-hmm. of these tests that come, you know, at the end of the year. So, um, so I would say, you know, be, be true to what you think is best for your students in terms of their um, overall growth, you know, in, in content, in language, in um, social, emotional, in, you know, their confidence, their agency, all those things, you know, just to be very, um, be very excited and, um, and extra focused on that. That's the primary and then the secondary is some of these other things, um, even though I get in trouble for saying things like that. But, um, 
<laughs> but it's but I think it's 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 really I, th I think I think a lot of students have been harmed by uh, this hyper focus on oh yeah we increased your test scores 2.75 percent last year uh, come on you know like <laughs> anyway um, that's what I would say with the green light um, so this has been great thank you so much Tan I hope we have future conversations um, well you have been so gracious and so helpful and kind of so contributory you know in your work you have definitely helped us shape our own practice and definitely in my own class so I. And what a great way to start the holiday with uh, talking to you at three in the morning from Thailand. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I invite you to rate this podcast and leave a comment. Each episode takes three to four hours to record and edit. So your comments make all the hours worth it. And your reviews will help educators like you find the podcast. Now onto our recap. I feel like I've made my students do a lot of pseudo conversations. I have students talking to each other to just develop their language skills and to be more engaged. However, Dr. Zvears talks about the need to have authentic conversations. To do this, we first must have a purpose for the conversation, and that purpose must be engaging for students. They must come together to decide on something or to create something through their conversation. When they do talk, we want to have them build on each other's ideas, clarify and support each other's ideas, and to fill in each other's knowledge gaps. Central to these conversation skills is the mutual independence students have for one another. We need to create conditions where students need each other to participate in the conversation so that they can build, clarify, support, and fill in information. I hope you purchase his new book called The Conversation Effect, as there are many strategies to develop these skills. In the next episode, we continue the theme of student discussions with master educator Lundy Smith, who will talk about the Harkness discussion. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. I'd like to share a testimony from an educator who participated in one of my online courses. Hi, my name is Mary, and I recently took part in the January 2020 Scaffolding for Ls hosted by Tan. It was a phenomenal course, to say the least. Really one of the best things I've done recently. Uh, best investment of time and money. As a teacher, I very seldom have people come up to me and say, hey, Mary, what's, what are you struggling with? What would you like a little help with? And that happened almost every week with each of us. Um, we would bring something that was frustrating, being it small or large, and people would help you see it from another perspective, help you see another way that you might tackle it. Or, but everything was always geared around helping our L's comprehend and understand and grow better, which I think was really driven home that there is no problem that we can't solve if we will just be willing to be creative and open to continuously trying. So again, I encourage you to participate and enjoy. Take care.